uh, ways that people operated in faith. And in the fourth verse there, it says this. Maybe you'd follow along. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. And Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed approval of his gifts. And although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by the example of his faith. You know, as I was reading that, and I uh, you know, referred back, of course, to the story in Genesis chapter 4, you know, where we pick up that whole concept, that whole understanding, and I'd never kind of seen it like this before, but of course, that's the very first one uh, act of faith that's recorded uh, there in, in, a, in the Faith Hall of Fame, chapter 11 of Hebrews, but also maybe the very first act of faith recorded in all the Bible. And, and when you look at it, you stop and think about it uh, a little bit, it's really marked in that God said he re accepted, he received from Abel his gift. And the Bible says that it was his first fruits. It, it was his best, the choicest of his flock that he brought and offered to God. And the scripture goes on that even though he has passed away many, many, many years ago, his, uh, uh, he still speaks to us today through his example of faith. Isn't that interesting? It still speaks to us today through his example. I don't know about you, but I'd like to have an example in my life that would live beyond me. And it, it's interesting how God ties it together with giving. If you never, never operated in that, never, never found your way to be able to release and to give to God, I encourage you. I encourage you to put it into practice in your life. Study it out in God's Word, and you'll find out that it'll be a blessing in your life. Amen. Well, let's get in the Word this morning. I, I'd like to tell you a scripture to turn to, but we're going to use several different scriptures, so I can't do that. But uh, it's kind of a, uh, been, a, been a wonderful month of ministry as the theme has been, friends of the family. And uh, I, I, if I look back over my life, uh, I have ministered on the family so many different times. In 36 years of, marriage, uh, of ministry, rather, uh, I've been able to minister over and over again on the concept of the family. But this series is mostly brought by Adam, Pastor Adam and Carrie, and it comes from their understanding of the Word of God linked together with the experience of 27 years of marriage. So for 27 years, they've had a, a successful marriage. They've raised three beautiful children. These children now are at the adult ages, and when you look at their lives, they're very productive people. They've grown and mature. They have character, deep character. You would know that because they not only have family relationships, but they have church family relationships. They serve here within the body of Christ. And so what a blessing it is that we have that level of ministry that comes from that background where you can actually see, you can observe that faith in action. And last week, Carrie spoke an amazing sermon, and I, I would encourage you, if you have not, if you missed it somehow, pick it up on our, uh, on our app uh, online, and um, if you've heard it once, hear it again. It'll, it'll help you. But basically, what she dealt with was she was talking about friends of the family, different ones that she would have, and she came up with the first one, which was truth. And how she said, uh, uh, truth and trust are so 
interrelated, interconnected, and there can be no relationship without trust. And so within the home, within the family, within the body of Christ, truth has to be spoken. We cannot be a people that we cannot be counted on. And so we have to develop that in our lives. We speak truth. And then she began to talk about together, together. And that's a, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't really sound like it goes with friends of the family, but she's talking about unity, not only within the family itself, but also within the church family. And she made the point, interesting as it was, that that can only happen uh, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Because what happens in a body of Christ, especially, uh, we have people from different backgrounds, different perspectives, different stages of maturity in their walk with the Lord. And uh, it's why she said that we have to be careful that we're tolerant of other people's opinions, that we are uh, not dogmatic. The way she put it, don't die on a battlefield of what she called doubtful things or things that are not uh, explicitly stated within the scripture. If we're going to die on a battlefield, one place, she said, if you remember what it was, it was the word of God. Amen. And then she talked about time. And that is such a, a critical and important issue for us to think about. Because when we talk about time, we're talking about redeeming the time that God has given us. It's a limited resource. Each one of us are not getting younger. That's just not the way the clock works. And so we've got to redeem the time. Take, uh, uh, be careful that, that we learn from each other, that we listen to each other, that we celebrate together, eat and laugh and enjoy life together. And so today, it falls on me. I get a my time to bring my perspective on this idea of friends in the family. And like I said, this has been a staple. Family has been a staple of my ministry. And for 36 years, I've brought series after series, teaching after teaching. Uh, I've brought uh, counseling and all kinds of different things to deal with the family because family is central to a godly society. It's the building block, really, if you will, of society. That's the way God ordained it. So we know that the enemy wants to destroy that. He wants to tear it down, and uh, he's, he's doing a pretty good job in certain cir circumstances. But, but the family is where nurturing takes place. It's where we're first loved and accepted, just like we are. It's, it's where we transfer values, that things that we hold true, the Bible, the, the Word of God, the truth of that. We're able to impart that uh, into, into our family. It's where we feel secure. It's where security is at least supposed to be established in homes. It's where celebrations happen, and we enjoy each other. And so our goal in ministering on the family, whether it be this series or uh, in, in times previous, is always to strengthen the family unit, to build up the family because of the importance of its institution. We're talking about marriage, of course. We're talking about the nuclear as well as the extended family. And also in its application, we're talking about the church family as well. And so today I have uh, an understanding that I've gained uh, in my life about family. I've, I, it's, it's, it's the way that I've lived my life. It's the way that I've ministered the Word of God. And it's happened through revelation that God's given me, a sinner that didn't have a clue of how to handle family or to be a part of a family. Uh, but, but the revelation of God's Word has helped me. And I believe that anybody that discovers these four basic friends of the family that I'm going to bring, the Scriptures, 
they get revelation of these scriptures, I believe you will have success in your family, in your relationships, in your extended family. And so the first one that I want to look at today is the concept of investing, the timeless truth of investing. And I want to look at it as it relates to money, uh, excuse me, to family. And so we, the, the scripture where I gained revelation from it is found in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Maybe you'd follow along with me in the overhead here or your own Bible. But there the Bible says, look at it carefully, even though you're familiar, give and you will receive. Your giving or your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount that you give will determine the amount that you get back. Now, many times when we read this scripture, it's in the context of finances or giving. And because I think because of my background in business, many people have a tendency to look at me for uh, to me for financial advice, especially as it deals with investing. And I have administered on the value and the importance of investing because uh, of of what it brings to uh, to our lives. And so. It's interesting to me how people respond when I teach on financial investing uh, because it always begins with a concept or an idea, and that idea is that we are not meant to live on all of our income. We're meant to save some. That's, that's the response I normally get. <laughs> people say, oh, 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 saving, because it's interesting that, that, that God set it up that if we're going to have a prosperous future, that we're going to need something to fall back on. There's a famous quote that says, a fool and his money are soon parted. And literally what that man is talking about is a foolish spend, uh, man spends all of his income quickly, and he spends it on things that are really have no real uh, uh, importance. And it's based upon Scripture, because the Scripture says in Proverbs 21 and verse number 20, the wise have wealth and luxury. They have it. Wise people have wealth and luxury. But fools, well, they spend everything they get. They just completely go through their income. And the wisdom of, uh, of this, uh, this revelation in Scripture always deals with the importance of sacrificing now what we could have now for investing in the futures. Now, squirrels understand this because they run around and they're gathering together food, uh, but they don't, they don't eat it all. They don't consume it all. What they do is they hide some of it because they know winter's coming and they're going to need it. And we know farmers get it. You know, they work hard and they plant their crops and they, I'm sure they, they want to take their crops in and sell it all because that's income for them. But instead, they know if we sell it all, if we don't save some to invest into our future, next year, what will we do for an income? And so I've taught this as it relates to money with what I call the 10-20-70 plan. And what I'm saying in that plan as I teach it is that we are, should spend only 70% of our income, that we should live on 70% because 10% obviously belongs to God and blessing flows into our life by giving that 10% and 20% needs to be set aside and needs to be set aside for 
our future. Now, the, the way people respond to this teaching uh, is, is, uh, is, is very interesting. Many people just ignore completely what I have to say because what they want is they want to spend all that they have right now for whatever they can have and whatever they can enjoy right now. Others, they hear me talking about investing and they're thinking, well, uh, 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 you know, uh, that sounds like a good idea. If I, get, if, I, if I invest something, I'm going to get back more. They get really excited about that and uh, they begin to think that what, what I'm going to do is give and I'll make them into a fast buck. Instead of uh, uh, investing, investing deals with a plan. Investing deals with, with a, a systematic approach to, to investing, research into what you're going to do in order to do well. But some go after the fast buck. You know what I'm talking about. They invest, maybe you remember the dot-com uh, era where people were just throwing money at all these dot-com companies. And of course, the stock market turned. Everybody lost a fortune overnight. And maybe uh, people in the futures, they say, well, this is a way to, to really leverage my, my, my money and I'll get this huge return, not realizing that that's the, also the way you lose everything that you could, you could possibly hope. And now it's cryptocurrency, you know, where people are investing in that without really thinking or researching what's going to happen in the future. And so many uh, uh, go after it without really thinking that investing takes time. Investing takes thought. It takes uh, a plan for the future. And so uh, uh, I found that everyone who does listen, and they do invest, they, they set aside, they save, they don't spend everything that comes in, they are always 100% happy that they did. It always works out well, 100%. And people that don't, well, they wish that they would have. And they look back on that and they think, man, I wish I would have listened to that. And so while investing is a friend of the family when you deal with money, it definitely is. It will help you. As a matter of fact, that quote that I, came, uh, that I gave about a fool whose money are soon parted comes from a man by the name of Thomas Tusser. In his writings, he put 500 points of good husbandry. And that was one of the points. In other words, he's dealing with a husband with his family. But while that, I don't want to talk about that this morning. What I want to talk about is the family. And so I'm talking about investing in the marriage. I'm talking about investing in the children. I'm talking about investing in relationships. Because once again, everyone that does will be happy that they did that. Now, this principle uh, is applied to family as it is as rewarding as it is for uh, the family as it is for uh, finances. Because what happens is most newlyweds, when they come together, they're starry-eyed, they're looking for all the benefits that are going to be a part of, uh, the, of the wedding. Uh, and um, uh, many times what ends up happening is they're trying to extract from their partner what will make them happy. They're trying to take and make the, that uh, now that I'm married, now I'm going to have this partner that's going to make my life that much better. But, but what we find is it doesn't take long to discover that this leads to relational friction. Now all of a sudden, two people trying to extract uh, happiness or meaning and purpose out of a marriage, uh, uh, there, there's going to be uh, obviously going to be some problems. Two becoming one in practice is not something that's easy. 
Something's got to give, amen. Someone's got to sacrifice. And so Bonnie and I, in our lives, and our first married, uh, and, and of course, uh, 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 before I found this, that's exactly what I set out to do. I was married to the most beautiful girl in the world, and I'm thinking, man, life is going to be wonderful. Amen. She's going to cook for me, and she's going to take care of me just like mama took care of me, and everything's going to be just wonderful. And I'm sure she had certain expectations going into the marriage as well, that I'm going to provide for her and think about her, put her first, and all those different things. But there became some friction involved in that as two people were trying to figure out how to enjoy married life. But it wasn't until I got saved that I had a revelation that came to me from Scripture. And that revelation, in that revelation, I learned how to build a successful life. Again, Luke chapter 6, that's where it came from. Give, Carl, and you will receive. Your gift, your, your, your investment will return to you in full, and it won't just come back to you a little bit. It's going to come back to you again and again in greater and greater fashion, and the way that you receive is going to be determined by the way and the amount that you give. And so we're talking about here giving, selfless love. I mean, everybody goes into the marriage. They, they, they want to be loved. They want to be accepted for who they are. And so we kind of demand that. We, we, we expect that. But in reality, the Bible says, no, no, that's not the way to get that. The way is to give. Invest love. Invest selfless love. Invest acceptance. Invest kindness into that marriage. Invest gratitude, thanksgiving for who they are and what they provide. Invest honor. Honor that spouse. And guess what happens? It's going to begin to come back to you to give your time, invest your time to listen and to learn and to, be encur and to encourage and to lovingly correct and, and teach and bring understanding of what is right and wrong. In other words, sow into the family unit, sow into the marriage, and it's going to come back to you, but it's just not going to come back a little bit. It's going to get, come back pressed down, shaken together, and of course, just overflowing in your life. Remember, this is a spiritual principle, and spiritual principles will work for you if you will put them to practice in your life. I was looking for an amen there. Remember, again, investing in the family is not a quick fix. And I think that's what happens many times. Well, I tried that. <laughs> I tried to give a, a, a love. I tried to accept. It just didn't, didn't come back to me. Listen, it requires sacrificing. It requires some time, some effort that's got to be put into it. You've got to realize demanding respect won't get the job done. What I've got to do is give respect because when I give it, that's what's going to come back into my life. First spiritual principle, uh, friend of the family that we're looking at is invest, invest in your family. Second friend of the family, the second truth here really is rooted in that first principle, and it's the importance of order, the importance of order. Now, I discovered this in a scripture that is found in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23. There the Bible says, People probably don't want to read it. But there the Bible says, for the husband is the head of the wife. 
as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Now, it's become kind of commonplace in society, and I think for certain as well, within the church of Jesus Christ, because um, we want to ignore scriptures that we don't either understand or don't agree with. And so when we look at this scripture, the husband is the head of the wife, we may say this is an archaic way of looking at family. After all, marriage is a two-way street, isn't it? I mean, it can't just be one way. And it sounds so presumptuous. What if the woman is smarter than the man? So that, how does that work out, the husband is the head? What if, what if the woman earns more money than the man? How, how, how does this work out in the family? But let me just tell you something. God really does know what he's talking about. Come on, somebody, say amen to that. He really does know. And so if you can get over how this scripture has been abused by some for their own benefit, and you can get serious about seeking revelation from God in his word, what you're going to discover at the basis of this scripture is the thought of order. God is a God of order. This is seen throughout all of his creation. I mean, aren't you glad that you can count on it The spring comes after winter? It's because God's a God of order. Aren't you glad that the laws of science, you can, you can count on them. You can, you can understand because God is a God of order. He's a God of order when it comes to seasons that we live in our life, the laws of nature that we go through. Everything that God places in motion has a distinct, and let me add, a righteous purpose. After all, everything that he created, he created for our benefit right? And so think about this idea of the husband is the head, or the wives, as Pastor Adam preached, be submissive to their own husbands. And he made the point that was such a, I think, a very profound point, that the word submit or, or submission comes from two words, sub, which means under, and mission, which means that there's purpose or to it. So come under the purpose, come under the mission of the husband. Now, uh, when, when, we, when we read that, we realize, and he made the point, that it would be very difficult for a wife to submit to a husband who has no clear-cut mission. Husband that's just kind of existing, how in the world is she supposed to submit to that? It would be difficult to submit to a man who does not have a guiding moral compass, a man who has no passion or no direction for his life. How in the world would you expect someone to submit whose, uh, whose thoughts uh, uh, the head of the house would be uh, selfish and not really about the best interests of the family or uh, uh, a man who refuses to take action, especially in the difficult times of life, but kind of just, just kind of uh, sits back and lets the wife take care of things. Uh, someone who's passive and afraid to make decisions or bring direction. A person who refuses to discipline themselves for the betterment of the family and instead just kind of leaves it up to the wife. The wife handles everything around the house. I just go to work and come home. Listen to me. It's the husband's responsibility 
to learn and to grow into the role that God says he's given to him. It's his responsibilities. It, 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 it's got to be a way of making it easy for the, the spouse to be able, the wife to be able to say, yes, I'm not afraid to come under the mission of my, my husband. We are united as a family, and we're moving forward in purpose. Anytime we do anything out of order, it becomes a mess. If you don't believe me, just put together a Christmas toy for your kids, and if you don't pull out the instructions and follow the order, you're going to find out you made a mess. Because the Bible says the husband is the head. What it does not say is whether he's a good head or a bad head. Amen. And so we recognize that while God says the husband is the head, there are some pretty poor heads uh, around, and we get that. But, it, uh, but, but what we've got to, that's why us as men, as husbands, we have to make every effort to become a good head. And the only way to do that, according to this scripture, is to emulate Jesus. That's what the Bible said, wasn't it? Husbands, uh, uh, you know, uh, the husband is the head of the wife, just like Christ is the head of the church. And so we know that Christ is the head of the church. Aren't you glad that we, our headship falls under the mission of Jesus Christ. And we know that we're loved. We know that we're accepted. We know that he has our best interests at heart. So scripture says it this way, as he continues on in Ephesians 5. He says, for the husband, this means that you're to love your wife just like Christ loved you or the church. He gave up his life for her. And so we get a, a picture or an understanding of a husband and what their role is that's been given to them by the Father that we've got to figure out how do I love Jesus, excuse me, how do I love my wife as Jesus loves me? How do I give up my life to make sure that I present a, 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 a spouse that is, that is holy before God. He goes on and he speaks about children. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them, but rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And so he's saying that what you have to do is understand, same thing with our children, that you and I have to treat them the way that God treats us, the, 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 the discipline, the care, the correction, the encouragement, the instruction, that's a part of this. So to be successful in anything, it takes work. I'm looking for you to say amen to that. And no matter what you do, whether it's your job, it doesn't matter whether it's a, a, a playing of music on the platform, ministering the Word of God, if you're going to do something you know, successfully, it's going to take work. And so Christian husbands have to understand, if the husband is the head, there's some work that needs to go into that so that we can be the man that God called us to be and be a headship in our family that we're supposed to be. Amen. I, I love our value that says good is better than best. Excuse me. Better is better than best. Better is better than best. And what we're saying about that, if we deal in this term, is that when we first get married, we may try to do our best. Our best might not be good enough. We better get better. 
We better grow. And it should happen over our years. I think about when I first got married with Bonnie, and uh, before we secured a, 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 a nice place to live or anything, I found a boat. It was good price, and so I bought my boat. That was my first purchase. Think about the message that I was sending. I, all I thought about at the time was, I want to be on the water. I want to enjoy the lake. But, 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 but uh, the message that I was truly sending to my wife is that you're first, not me. Uh, all, all the different messages that my security is not important. It's only what you want. And so I realized there's got to be something that helps me to get better than I am today. Amen. So what the Scripture did for me, that this... this uh, thought of the husband as the head of the wife, is it, is it confirmed that I had a role? That for order to happen in my home, I had a purpose, and that purpose uh, was that I was the head of the family. What that meant to me is I needed to get proactive. I can't sit back and allow my wife to make the decisions. I can't let the pressure be on her. I had to be positive that I couldn't run a family with negative thoughts and negative words, but that if I was going to be the head over a family, I had to have a direction that was positive and moving forward. I had to be involved. I couldn't be uh, just sitting back watching a television show. I had to be involved in the life of my family, that that would be more important, that I had to make my family the priority, not what I wanted, uh, tied into that thought of investing, sacrificing what I want now for what I desire to happen in the future. And I can tell you today that I will answer to God for my headship, just like every man that's sitting in this room today that's a husband, we will give answer to God for our headship. Better get it in order. The third uh, element that I, uh, as a friend of the family, is the extreme value of intimate knowledge. The extreme value of intimate knowledge. I thought it was interesting that we sang a song this morning that was based that you understand me is the words that we sang. God, you understand me. I'm not going to negotiate. I know that you know me. That thought, that revelation came to me in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7, where the Bible says, Husbands, dwell with your wife with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life. So in order to lead anything, especially a family, one needs knowledge. It's not natural. Can I hear you say amen? When we first get married, we don't understand that. But this means the husband needs to be a lifelong learner, a lifelong student of his wife and his children. Because the Bible says we were unique. We are all unique. We're all created different. There's no two of us that are alike. And so there's no one-size-fits-all of how you're supposed to uh, 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 raise your family or lead your family. But understanding is gained through uh, observation. It's gained through thought. It's gained through experience. It's gained through understanding and revelation in the Word of God. I found out something when I married Bonnie that there is no one quite like her. 
And if you know Bonnie, you know the same thing uh, applies to everyone that's in here, but she is absolutely one of a kind. She amazes me on a constant basis. Every time she does, we have a say, I have a saying that I use in the family. I just look at her and say, what a woman. Because there is, it's just, she's amazing. She, and, and she is absolutely unique. And so what this scripture is saying to me is that, Carl, I need to be a student and dwell with Bonnie, understanding her, understanding what makes her tick, what she likes, what makes her happy, what causes her concern or anxiety or fear. And if I'm going to lead my wife, then I'm going to have to figure out exactly what makes her tick. And so as to be the head of a family, we need knowledge. And our example, once again, goes back to Jesus because he knows us intimately, right? I mean, Scripture says he knows the number of hair on our head. It doesn't matter whether that's few or many. It's not the issue, but different. What he says is that of all the millions and billions of people on the planet, he knows us down to the number of hairs on our head. He speaks to Jeremiah in the first chapter, and he says, Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And so we know that God knew Jeremiah. He knew his personality. He knew the gifts that were placed within him. He knew what made him tick. And so he made him and anointed him to be a prophet to the nations. So God looks at us. There's no two of us that are alike. And yet he took the initiative to get to know each one of us intimately. That is why I submit, come under the mission of Jesus Christ. I can tell you that when I first began to read this book and I began to study from my born-again experience in Christ, I remember coming out of my mouth these words, whoever wrote this book knows me better than I know me. And there was a revelation that came to me, an understanding that I thought I knew me. I, I thought I knew what I wanted and what was good for me. But as I began to read the book, it began to cut and divide my personality, my spirit, my soul. It began to open that up and cut me deep within so that I could begin to understand uh, 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 who I was. And so uh, the psalmist says in 139, oh Lord, you've examined my heart, you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up, you know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything that I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. And so when I received revelation out of First Peter here, the third chapter, I knew that I had a role I, uh, and I realized that that was to dwell with my wife, dwell with my son according to knowledge. I had to learn what blessed her, what offended her, what caused her to feel safe and secure, and yet what brought uncertainty to her life. I've just figured out, we've been married for 50 years, and I just figured out before we go to bed at night, when we're in bed, I can't tell her what, what's going to happen tomorrow because she'll stay up all night thinking about tomorrow. And so I need to keep it to myself even though I want to talk about it. 
I had to figure out what encourages Bonnie. I found out that orders don't work. I once tried. Submit, woman. <laughs> Didn't work. Amen. Probably won't work for you either. This also necessary in raising children. I think about it. There, there are new ch two children alike. If you don't believe, if you don't believe me, ask Travis and Melissa. I mean, they've got two sons. I mean, they're totally, totally different. You wouldn't believe they came from the same family. But, but we've got to learn to develop a language with our children that works for them. It's not the same for everyone. We've got to learn how they learn. We've got to learn what lights them up and what bent God placed within their heart and their spirit. We've got to spend time with them, listening to them, trying to understand or comprehend, experimenting to see how we can best raise them because you cannot effectively lead without knowing and understanding intimately the person that you're trying to lead. Amen. Now the fourth one, I'll lighten up on the husbands in here. The fourth one is relax. Don't stress chasing the best life because fulfillment will ultimately be found in the simple life. Last week, Carrie ministered on this thought and it really spurred uh, my thinking because she was talking about people posting on Facebook all the activities, where they're traveling, what they're doing, all the things that are happening, taking pictures and saying, here I am when my, enjoying my best life. And she made the statement is that is not the best life. What happens is we chase fulfillment. We try to find it in travel or in things or in entertainment or, or, or uh, so many different things. We, we try to, to chase what life is, what's, what's out there for us. But can I tell you something? None of these things, as good as they all are, none of these things will bring fulfillment in our life. And over time, I think you will find what I have found, the best life is the simple life. Home, family, work, church, friends. We find it not in the uh, running here and doing that and trying to, to figure out what, 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 will, what, will, what will float your boat when the reality is God's given it to us in the simple things of life. Now, I found that in the Revelation, in the, in the Psalms, in the 128th verse. It just really revolutionized my thought. It says, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. Talking about work here. You will enjoy work. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine, flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous, and they are vigorous, vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. Now, I remember that when I began to receive revelation here, I, I would read this, and I'm thinking he's talking about work. He's talking about family. And, and, and this is the blessing that God has set before us. 
Because when we're young, we want to run, man. We want to experience. We want to grab life by the tail. And that's good. That, I, I wouldn't discourage that in any way, shape, or form. But, but don't neglect building that which will bring fulfillment in your life. Think about Solomon and the Word of God. That Here's the wisest man that ever lived. And he, he, he chased the fast life. He, he gathered together all women that, that he could ever want. He pursued education to the highest level. He wrote books and studied uh, uh, all kinds of things in nature. He exercised power and established power, and he, he, he heaped to himself uh, possessions like nobody had ever had before. But at the end of his life, he writes in Ecclesiastes, the second chapter, so I decided, I've come to the conclusion that there's nothing better to, that, to, uh, to enjoy than food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized, I re there was revelation, I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. In verse chapter nine and verse number nine, he says, live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of your life that God has given you. The wife God gives you is your reward for earthly toil. See, what I'm afraid is, is that people come with preconceived notions of what brings fulfillment and what establishes satisfaction. I can't tell you how many times I've gathered, sat down and with, with couples that have been dating and they're explaining to me, you know, we want to get married, but, you know, we got to pay for this wedding that we're going to do, this this, this wedding, I mean, this is, we've got a, all these things we have to buy. It's an expensive, Pastor, so we're going to have to put that off. And so I try to talk to him as a wedding, marriage, wedding one day, over. Marriage, the rest of your life. Where do you want to invest? Why would you put it back? I've seen the same thing with children. You know, we want to have children, but you know, we don't have what we need yet. We need to pay off the car, and we need to get this, that, and the other thing if we're going to have to do it without understanding that there is something so much better for you, the joy of children, the, the joy of a family that God gives to us. And so putting it off what, what, uh, for today, what you could enjoy simply by the, living the simple life. And I know so many people who try, I think they work at trying not to work, figuring a way, I can get a paycheck, but I don't have to put in much work, and yet God designed us that we are to be busy. We're to be productive individuals, that, that as we produce, uh, it's where we begin to feel good about ourselves, and so satisfaction comes from the simple things in life. I know that my son met, met, met a, a young man who was going into business, and that always lights us up, you know. We love to see people go into business and succeed at life. And he had started a mobile car wash. And uh, so he washed the cars a couple of times, got to know him a little bit, and, and, and Pastor Adam invited him to come to church. And, and, and he was just incredulous. He goes, church? Why would I ever go to church? And so it's not hard to understand where he's coming from. Basically what he's saying is church is old-fashioned. 
Church is, 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 is you know, I, it would take away from my time where I'm trying to enjoy what life has for me. But let me just tell you something. Church is so much more than just a waste of time. Can I hear you say amen? It's where we develop a balanced perspective in life, where we understand that we are not God, that there is a God that's up, and we've got to figure out how to serve. It's where we develop an understanding of our own fragility and understand that we need the help of God, that we don't have it all under control. It's a place where we understand gratitude, where we lift our hands in worship to one who is higher than us, stronger than us, that can help us in our trouble. It's where we hear the unvarnished truth that comes from the Word of God, timeless truth that will help us again and again to navigate our lives. It's where we grow and and, and, and develop and mature through accountability and developing lifelong friends that we're with and together enjoying life together. Home is not just a place where we, don't, where we go when we don't have something more exciting to do. And I think some people feel that way, but it's a place where we're loved. It's a place where we're accepted for who we are. It's a place where we're loved in spite of the flaws that are a part of our life. It's a place to unwind from the stress that comes as a part of our life, the pressure that's our life. It's a place where we develop and, and, and establish memories that, that we'll look back on all of our life that, that will bring blessing. It's a place uh, where our legacy will be developed, that, that who we are, the character that is developed in our life. And work, well, it's not just some drudgery that we have to do for a paycheck, but it's an opportunity to make your mark in this world. It's a place where you can feel satisfaction, and you can feel accomplishment, that my life counts for something, that I'm productive to society. It's a place where you develop a reputation, where people begin to know you and understand who you are, a testimony that you can live out. It's a place where skills that you can hone and develop as it opens up doors for a future for you and your children after you. It's a place where you make new friends and, and, and you live out your testimony. It's a place where at the end of a day when you're tired, you can feel good about yourself, that you're putting something into society, not just taking it out. These are the reasons that we minister on things that strengthen the family. I think deep down inside, I know of my life, and I know my son's life as well, is what we want for you is a satisfying, fulfilling, purpose-driven life. We don't want you just to learn a few scriptures or just make it a habit to come to church, but we want your family to grow and develop and become what God is. Life is not a sprint, folks, it's a journey. And what makes you happy today will not necessarily do that in your future. It's not just all the highs and the, and the excitement and the celebrations, but there's also the downs and the hurts and the problems of life. And so you and I have to learn some basic truths. And I've tried to outline some of them for you this morning. Invest. Invest in your family. That's how it'll come back to you. Everything that you want in life, as you give it, it will come back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It's a, it's, it's, it's a life 
that lived in order. And even though we sometimes it's difficult, everything God created set in motion, He set in motion with an order to it. And if we'll understand the revelation that we are in a position, and men especially, they understand that I am the head. That's not something I appoint myself to. It's something that the order of life has given to me. And I've got to become the best head that I can. I've got to learn. I've got to grow. I've got to sacrifice. And then we talked a little bit about knowledge, intimate knowledge, knowing our spouse, knowing our children, loving them, helping them, understanding them. Because you can't lead effectively those that you don't know. And then we've talked about relaxing, letting life come to you. Because the simple life, I'm here to tell you, you'll find what Solomon found, what I've found, many of the uh, people that have lived a while have found, it's the simple things in life. It's gonna bring you the blessing. It's what God ordains, what God gave us. Invest in that. Walk in that. And experience the blessing of God. And so this morning as I conclude not just this message, but this series that we've brought, I know, I, I, I hope that you've heard what is brought. I pray that, that you just don't listen to it and kind of let it run off your back, but instead maybe even listen to the messages again. Highlight those things that are helpful to you. Because I'm here to tell you, I've given you four scriptures that brought revelation into my life about how to be a husband, how to live within a family, and it's brought blessing to me, revelation from God's Word. So if we'll study God's Word, if we'll meditate on God's Word, if we'll search God's Word for answers to our lives, there's no one-size-fits-all, but you and I can learn from God how we are to live and a life that brings us satisfaction. That's what we want for you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe for just a few moments in the presence of the Lord. Such a blessing to be able to speak to this subject that's so near and dear to my heart. I know my, over the years, I've preached so many sermons and, and my wife would always tell me, preach on the family. Every time you preach on the family, it really helps people. People enjoy that. They like that. And so this morning, as I poured out my heart, some things that I've learned in my life, I want to put forth a challenge. And that challenge is that you would take the time to receive revelation from God. Because I can tell you right now, everything God's put in order in this life, everything He set forth, He did it for your benefit. He wants to bless you. You can march your own tune, I guess, as the as the song that we sang this morning. You can go your own way. You can try to figure it out on your own. But I'm here to tell you today that God loves you. That God wants you to walk in the blessings of heaven. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that the words that I've spoken this morning and the words that have gone forth, Lord, over the last weeks in this series, Lord, that they would lodge in the hearts of people, that they would nudge them, Father, to continue to 
grow, to understand better is better than best, that we've got to continue to be better and better as the years go by. And so, Father, I pray blessing right now, blessing over families, that you would cause them to grow, to prosper, to be fruitful. Lord, I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. I wonder this morning, if I could talk to husbands a little bit. I, as I was, and I worked this week in, in crafting, putting together this sermon, and uh, I began to recognize, I'm kind of thick sometimes, I began to recognize I was speaking a lot to husbands, to men. And uh, I thought about that. I said, man, you know, Lord, I, but you know, I guess because I am a man, <laughs> that God speaks to me in terms of the responsibility of the man. And so I've, I've put forth a challenge to men here, and that is to invest in your family, to be the head emulating Christ in your life about gaining knowledge and understanding of your spouse, your children, to raise them. And to not chase things that the world has to offer, but instead develop, it, develop that home because it'll bring such joy to your life. And I wonder today if there isn't some men here today that God has not nudged that there needs to be some changes made. And if you would be brave enough right where you're at, I wonder if you would acknowledge that with an upraised hand. I have work to do. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you for those hands, Lord. I, I ask you, Lord, that it would not go from just raising of a hand, but there would be a determination in them to get all that the Lord has blessed us with. I pray help them, Lord. Lead them, guide them, teach them through your word. And Lord, let this house, let this house be a, a house of helping families to grow and develop. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. One last thing I would do before I uh, dismiss, the dismiss the congregation so I wonder if there's a person here today that needs to get their heart right with God. It needs to get it right. And if that's the case, I wonder whether you wouldn't be uh, able to acknowledge that and say, I need to have my sins forgiven. Sins have this issue. And they're talking about the scarlet issue and the blood that was shed for our sins. If that's you and you need Christ to come into your life today to make a new start, a declaration of a new start, I wonder if you wouldn't acknowledge that real quickly by standing to your feet. Now, I know that would take a little bit of guts, but I wonder if you wouldn't do that and say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ today. I can guarantee you that if you would stand to your feet with, with that being the acknowledgement, that would be a tremendous start in saying, I'm going to make a stand. I'm not going on with life like this. I need Jesus in my life. Would there be one? It would be so, so, such a brave act of courage. Would there be one? Praise the Lord. 
then I want to thank you for coming today. I hope the series was a blessing to your life. Don't forget, next Sunday we begin our Christmas series. Pastor Adam will be in the pulpit. It'll be a great time. And uh, set aside Christmas Eve's Eve, we get together to celebrate Christmas. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And go Browns.